expanding our understanding of hope. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about the topic of hope and how it's not just our church name, but it's kind of the foundation of who we've become and where we started. This idea of hope and it comes from Jeremiah 29:11, I think it is. You know, I've, I've given you a hope in a future not to have you upset and worried about stress and stuff, but I'm giving you a, a, a hope. And so um, we can't forget that. And that's an old covenant verse. And then in the new covenant, we have the culmination of it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So hope has a name, the name of Jesus. I thought it was really cool. All right. Things that made me ponder this week. I've got 10. I had to cut out five. It's a bummer, but they're, they're good. So this week, these are the things that kind of hit me. Some of them have to do with personal journeys. The fun part about doing uh, things that I've pondered this week is I can cover a whole bunch of topics without making it a sermon, and yet they're like bite-sized nuggets of good news, and hopefully one of them will impact your heart. First one, don't worry if people don't like you. Most people are starting to like themselves. This one's important. It's an overlooked thing. We usually don't talk about this in church because it doesn't sound spiritual, but it is. How you see yourself matters. You will live your life based on what you believe about who you think you are. If you don't like yourself, you're going to live like it. But, flip the table, if you know you're loved, beloved, already right with God, accepted, valued, forgiven by God, and begin to get your identity from your spiritual identity, your whole life can do a flip. Your mind, your thinking can change. So this does matter. So sometimes we see people who are pretty nasty. I think I have a meme on that. Yes. If someone treats you bad, just remember that there is something wrong with them, not you. Normal people don't go around destroying other people. This is hard to remember when somebody uh, is getting into it with you in an argument. It's hard to remember this when things are heated in a discussion, when there's a disagreement. Um, but sometimes when somebody has a tendency to always be upset at everyone else and, and just a nasty person, it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on what they're going through. If you continue to carry the bricks from your past, you will end up building the same house. I know we have a real estate agent here that's not referring to real estate. So this has to do with um, learning to move forward on some things in our lives, to not carry some of the unnecessary pains of the past as uh, keeping your baggage. There's a hilarious uh, cartoon that David Hayward has. I won't... Um, describe it exactly as the post says, but there's a picture of, a, of this man walking, and then there's Jesus next to him carrying this huge pack of stuff. Says, and the person says, why are you carrying all that? And Jesus says, this isn't my stuff, this is yours. But when you see the meme, you'll smile. Anyway, I thought this was cool. Behind every seemingly perfect person, there's a mess you can't see. Each of us have complications in our minds. When things seem all wonderful, and I've heard it from even here in Home Fellowship as we, we have conversations with different people, oh, but so-and-so's life is so wonderful, I wish I could be like that. You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know that the presentation you see on a Sunday or in a, in a group meeting or what, even worse on Facebook and Instagram and people 
post this wonderful life. And it's like an escape that's fake. And we think they're having such a wonderful time, but under the surface, struggles. And then you find out that's actually normal. You know, parenting, try parenting. Huh. You know, it's, it's not easy. Try living life, working, your jobs, the stresses you have at jobs. It may, you may seem all friendly and happy. And it's like, hang on, we each have our stuff going on. I thought that was really good. People have a hard time letting go of their suffering. Out of a fear of the unknown, they prefer suffering that is familiar. I thought that was kind of profound. There are some people who are in their struggles, and it's actually comfortable there because they get attention. They don't have to get out of their problems because they're getting their ego needs met from all the care from other people and so on. I, I've known people like that, and so have you. It's just a nice reminder that, hey, maybe there is a way out of the struggle. I don't have to live a suffering life for whatever category you might be thinking about. This one's really good, and the next, so is the next one. When interpreting the Bible, filter it through the larger biblical theology of God is love. We've been saying that here at Hope Fellowship for years. If... Um, if your interpretation ends up ex or excludes, belittles, is violent, ignores those in need, or allows you to feel superior to others, uh, it isn't loving. It isn't from love. It isn't of God. And to me, this has to do with how do we read the scriptures. And this has been a unique topic here because um, I wrote uh, to Richard Murray last night about quarter at 12, because he was still up, and I said... I have a hunch as we continue to discover a more amazing God, a more hope-filled perspective on who God is, most Christians growing up in the Western church, whatever that is, have this cubbyhole, a theological cubbyhole in their brain, and it's welded shut, and that box is labeled biblical inerrancy. And you don't even know it's there. It was placed into your brain as a child growing up in Sunday school and other places and not giving permission to ask questions about the scriptures. There is room for questions that we are never allowed to ask. We were given answers to questions and never allowed to question. Well, today I challenge myself and others, question all the answers. If it's true, it's not afraid of being exposed. So I think it's quite powerful. The next one's similar. This is George McDonald's, and a lot of you know who George McDonald is. If you don't, he's been. This is uh, the Western Church has looked up to George for a lot of good things, and this is powerful. Sad indeed would the whole matter be if the Bible had told us everything God meant us to believe. But herein is the Bible greatly wronged. It nowhere lays claim to be regarded as the word the way, and the truth. Ooh. The Bible leads us to Jesus, the inexhaustible, the ever-unfolding revelation of God. It is Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not the Bible, save as leading to him. I remember Brad Jerzak said, you know, the word of God is in errant, 
infallible and using all these terms. And then when he turned 18, he grew a beard. Get it? Jesus is the word of God. The Bible is supposed to be a picture pointing to Jesus. Jesus then corrects all of our misconceptions. And I love it. It's beautiful. It doesn't look like Jesus. It ain't God. Anytime the Bible's quoted to defend behavior that is not motivated by the law of love, something is wrong. I, I hear this all the time, but the Bible plainly says. No, it does not plainly say. It's a text. It's interpreted. It's translated. And I'm looking for the love of God to come out of it, and I trust the Holy Spirit in me. And the beauty is we have a lot of freedom here to chat and converse and challenge and rebut and disagree, and it's, it's really quite fun, and it's done once relationship has been established and trust has been established. I love that. I think I have one more. Yep. When you learn how to sit at the table with your Judas, you'll understand the love of Christ. <laughs> I'll leave that there. Oh, one more. Jesus is not a window showing us who we can become. He's a mirror showing us who we already are. Let that sink in. That's why the mirror translation by Francois was created and why it's called the mirror. Because we are a mirror reflection of Jesus. We have the same, we share the same identity. We're not the deity, but we are fused in union to Jesus. We are not God, but we are in union with Jesus. We are one with, same essence now. Anyway, there's like 10 sermons. <laughs> Love that. All right, time for a Henry Nouwen devotional. This one's really, really, really good. Are you ready? You belong to God. At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong, God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry, and a little rejection makes me depressed. Sound familiar? A little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often, I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and, and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle, resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. Hmm. As long as we belong to this world, we will remain subject to its competitive ways and expect to be rewarded for all the good we do. But when we belong to God, which we do, who loves us without conditions, we can live as he does. The great conversation called for by Jesus is to move from belonging to the world to belonging to God. To stop hearing the voices of the world, especially the negative voices that push you to build your ego. In fact, the voice of the Spirit of Christ in you calls us to surrender and give that up 
and trust the Christ in us to guide us. But unfortunately, I think one of the things we need to learn to do is learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it does not sound like a minister at all. Ministers can speak good things, but it's in you that you hear if it's true or not, not the external. It's confirmed inside. That's important. Powerful devotional. So where do we find hope? How can we find a more hope-filled perspective? How can we expand our understanding of hope? If we look back and see other people's lives in the recorded scriptures, the texts that we have given to us by those who wrote them down and translated, we come to see that God is the initiator. But I grew up believing that it was my job to find God. Right? Have you found Jesus? You hear people knock on the door and say, have you found Jesus? And the smart aleck person at the door says, I didn't know he was lost. Goofy, I know, but still, if you think about it, it's, it's really silly. It's a really immature comment if you think about it. Have you found Jesus? Instead, Jesus found us. Jesus pursues us. Jesus came to seek and save that was lost, to heal the blind, to give sight to the blind. Jesus is the initiator, the chaser. Jesus is the one who went to that man on a mat in the, uh, by the pool of Bethsaida. It was Jesus who went to places. Jesus found the Samaritan woman. She didn't find him. That changes a lot of things. It changes our concept of how God interacts with us. We don't need to get God's attention. Hey, God, do you see what good I'm doing? Hello, can I get a blessing? Oh, wait, I got a crown with jewels to fill. Hey, if I do this, how big of a jewel do I get on my crown? And all that foolish talk that we have in the Christian world, only if you read the scriptures a little further, you realize you take your crown off anyway and lay it at the feet of Jesus because that's the fruit of all his work anyway. Oh, it's not about me? No. Because that's performance-based acceptance, performance-based gaining of something. But if we can come to realize Jesus loves us and just wants to know us, us to know him in a relationship, and as we are going, then God will work through us. And I'll come to that at the end. But I'd say relax. So how does God get our attention? And you're going to be surprised at how God does. I know we... Hear people pray, Lord, send down a big fire, send a big wind, send something. People run from church service to church service looking for the exciting, wow experience. And you know what? There's still something to be had with that. I remember the airport uh, vineyard thing when it happened, when they had so many people come and pastors were skeptical. So they went to see this airport thing in Toronto and I'm not going to let anything happen to me. This is baloney. God doesn't work like this. And then boom, God gets a hold of them and goes, I did not expect that. And then other people went, they had nothing. So who's right? Ha, ha, ha. It's not about being right. But if you go for the experience of someone else and say, I want that experience, God, you have just missed the boat. It's not the experience we are to pursue. 
It's Christ in us. And that's not even pursuing it. That is waking up to who is in you and how amazing Jesus is in you. The experiences that can follow are yours. They're personal. They're real. Some will be big and dramatic. Others will be calm, contemplative, and deep. And nobody will see you having those experiences, but they're real to you. Power. Control. <laughs> He's looking at me and... <laughs> All right. Nope. Hang on. Let me turn this off. Back on. Here we go. There. Let's talk about Moses for a minute. You want to talk about how God gets our attention? Here's a quote from somebody you'll recognize in history. 40 years, Moses thought he was a somebody. 40 years learning that he was a nobody. Another 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. D.L. Moody. I love that. There's a lesson there too. 40 years raised in the kingdom of Egypt as a royal, elitist, entitled, and then knocked down a few pegs, ran away, learned a whole new life, and then God still used him. It's funny how that works. Exodus 3, 1 to 5. I'm not going to read the story. You guys can look it up yourself. But God appears in the ordinary, just an ordinary bush, which is part of the environment. The story here is that Moses comes across a bush on fire. But it wasn't the bush being on fire that threw him off. It's that it stayed on fire. And... and Stayed on fire and still burning. Wait a minute, this is not normal. And he, he's looking at this bush. says, okay, by now that thing should be down to black and ash. It should be done. But the bush kept burning, full on fire. God was in that bush. What did God use? Something normal. Maybe we shouldn't have to look for the extraordinary all the time. Maybe we're too used to the big wow, the new extraordinary. Look at my fridge can do now. I can, it'll show me what's inside my fridge with a little camera so I don't even have to open the door now by clicking this thing in. Ooh, look at this computer program that does all this and this. And look at this drone that can do that. Oh, wow. And we have all this new wow, wow, wow. Oh, yeah, did you see this cool tech thing? Uh, which is kind of, I like doing that. But anyway, um, the whole idea of new, 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 new. We love new because we don't take time to enjoy some of the old either. It's amazing how some of those addictions distract us from stopping and pausing. And I didn't even know it was an addiction until I really thought through one. <laughs> I don't want to admit that. Then they'll know I like gadgety stuff and new things. They already know that. Oh, no. <laughs> it's true. So what is your burning bush? What is your normal thing that God could be using to get your attention? Could it be a crisis in your life? You know, a crisis can really make you rethink life, rethink God, rethink everything, who you are, where you're going, your future. I know during COVID, many people have rethought their jobs, rethought where they're going to live. All these people started to move away from big cities and they moved up to cottages and all these things. The crisis caused a change. And for COVID, there was a lot of 
deep sadness and horrible rifts that were caused in families, political and medical, you name it. I don't want to hear your story about it. It's true. It's happened. All of us have been exposed to all those really awful things. But COVID has also done something beautiful. And it doesn't look beautiful yet in some people's lives. I believe COVID has exposed the undealt with issues in marriages and families and jobs, undealt with issues in dissatisfied positions and roles and jobs. It's revealed these things, and that is not comfortable. Some marriages have been restored, some have been destroyed because they had to face the issues. I've seen that. It's wild what this has done. What about a baby? A baby will change your whole life. <laughs> when I see a parent with a new baby, I go, oh, you're going through serious life change. <laughs> because if you don't give up and make your baby first, you're going to have a really hard time parenting. The selfish life doesn't fit parenting at all. If it does, you're not doing it right. A death will radically change. I see this all the time because of the funeral work I do. But a death, you'll be surprised when a certain person passes away that you didn't see it coming you go, and how it affects you. You're startled by it. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that would hit me so hard. Why is it hitting me so hard? Because of something other, something else going on underneath the surface in your life or your connection to them. I'm constantly reminded that life is short. And nobody gets out alive. You do know that, right? It's true. You don't, you don't get out alive. Come on. That was sort of funny. How about a job change? That's also something different. Or a shift, a position change, whatever. These events that seem normal can be used by God to give you a perspective change to reveal, hey, you're not living like who you really are. You're living out of your ego resources, not mine. And you're getting a stark contrast between those two. Or uh, it's a direction of, hey, look, I'm uh, exposing you to some other people who need some love and care. And you weren't seeing it before. Now you're seeing it. Oh, there's a positive way to see these things. But there are people who only see it in the negative. Everything's awful. Everything's terrible. Um, again, personality types. Moses had excuses. I think he had four major excuses. Do you ever give excuses for stuff? Yes, we do. We often give excuses, some without realizing it. But one of Moses' big excuses was, who am I? Because God spoke to him and said, I'm going to use you. You're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go, and blah, blah, blah. Tell all this stuff's going to happen. And then, okay, first of all, there's a burning bush in front of you. The voice tells you to take off your sandals, which are probably not easy to take off like our shoes today. This voice still is talking. By now you know it's God. And you still rebut the voice in that burning bush? That, okay, that is crazy. I know I would freak out if an angel showed up. I'd be afraid and all that, but I... Not sure I'd argue, <laughs> but Moses does. He right away says, and by the way, this reveals Moses' insecurity. And let me encourage you with this. Your insecurities 
matter. First, you have to admit it. If you don't admit it, you'll never deal with them. And it's nice to see other people's insecurities exposed and how they deal with stuff because then you don't have to. <laughs> but we all have our own in different ways, in different categories. The problem was confidence. But God gave him a promise. He says, I'm going to be with you. That's God's voice to you too today. That, ha- that message hasn't changed. God's with you. God can't be absent from you because he indwells you, lives in you. There's no such thing as separation. It's an illusion. Another excuse he said, what am I going to say? <laughs> right? I think we all have that excuse. I don't know what to say. You need to confront somebody. You need to iron out some difficulties. I don't know what to say. So God gave him the words and a plan. Told him what to say. I think God's kind of laying it all out for him. Pretty cool so far. But he continues with excuses. He's not buying this. What if they'll not believe me? This is a common excuse for all of us. This is one of the things that stops us from moving forward. Which is fear. Every single one of these is fear. You caught that, right? Moses had a credibility problem and God gave him power. Showed him in the staff. Look, if you need some pizzazz and well, fine. Here, throw your stick down. See the snake. Now pick it up by the tail. Like, honestly, <laughs> this is freaky stuff going on. What I found freaky was that the Egyptian sorcerers did the same thing. That I can't figure out. But that's for another, another time. And I love this one. I've never been eloquent. Can you hear all four excuses? The bush is burning and the voice is speaking. It's clearly God and you still give excuses. I'm just saying it seems, if you never thought it through like that before, please see it as I'm seeing it because it, to me it's quite freaky. Moses had a communication problem, so fine. I'll send your brother. How many of us do not want our siblings with us? Because you're always one-upping each other or jealous of the other or can't stand something about the other. Sibling stuff. Oh, that's another sermon. I'll leave that alone, like forever. But anyway, here Moses has his brother come, Aaron, to help him. God took care of all the excuses. Let me encourage you with this. It was okay to have your excuses. It was okay for Moses to have his excuses. Even with all excuses, it didn't dissuade God from using him. The excused didn't disqualify, excuses, oops, did not disqualify Moses. That is a big lesson to learn. If you're afraid to step out for something new or step out to continue in the direction that you're going, it may not be a big wow thing, it's just going to get groceries, going to try something new. Who knows? You need not be afraid. And excuses are okay. God's not going to leave you in your excuses. Your doubts and excuses will never disqualify you from being loved and included in a relationship with God. I'm going to guess you probably expected that to say something else. Because in Christianese language, we use another term. Notice it didn't say used. Let me go back. Your doubts and excuses will never disqualify you from being used. That's the line we say with our religiosity. 
well, God's using me for great things. God's going to use you for great things. I got brutal news. God doesn't use people. Think about that for a minute. God doesn't use people. God, people use people for their own benefit. But God doesn't use people. God lives through people. And in Moses' situation, Moses didn't have the capacity to understand any of that, so God was with Moses the whole way. God doesn't use. So you don't need to be used by God in order to be valued and loved and accepted by God. That's baloney. That's religiosity. You're already accepted. You're, ex you're already valued. You're already loved. And now God just wants you to be loved. That's why you hear the word beloved all the time. Be loved, beloved. All the time. It's all through scripture. Observations. Past failures may cause us to be hesitant about taking risks and trusting God. Past failures reveal our weaknesses and can cause us to rely on God. He is our enabler. 2 Corinthians 12, 10 says, When I am weak, then I'm strong. God, will, God never calls us to any tasks that will be separate from his enabling power. That's pretty cool. If you really believe God's leading you to do something, then remember the power source in you to actually do that. Remember, it's God who initiates. It's God who wills you, encourages you, motivates you. Oh, wait, and then he's also the one who is the outcome of whatever is initiated. We forget that because fear stops us early. The moment Moses quit making excuses, God began to solve his problems. Remember this. It is God who initiates, not you. We love because he first loved us. The church I grew up in was about, you must love God more. That really, it was a phrase, it was a thing. You must love God more. Oh, you don't love God enough. So, okay, I'm going to try and love God. Well, the only way I knew how to love God as a German was to do stuff, be busy. <laughs> no. We live in response to the revelation of God's love. It's very different. Suddenly, it's starting to look like Jesus. Oh my goodness, that sounds almost peaceful, almost like restful. Yes, that's the point. We live in response to his love, not trying to get it or keep it. That's important. We live in response to his love, not trying to get it or keep it. So how does God want to expand you in your personal life? I don't want any answers. This is spirit-to-spirit -spirit conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. But this next short clip is about a prayer of God expand me. I don't mean in the waste, but, you know. God expand my opportunities, my wisdom, and my vision. So let's watch this clip and then we'll close. God, today as I pray, I ask these things. Expand my prayer to have faith of a mustard seed on behalf of those in need. Expand my expectations to think outside the box with help for those who feel hopeless. Expand my heart to feel empathy towards people I never even thought to care about. Expand my reach to connect with the ones I thought were too far gone. Expand my vision 
to see the need in front of me that I am totally blind to. Expand my generosity to obey your prompting and give without hesitation. Expand my mercy to love without judgment or explanation. Expand my influence to inspire others to do the same. Expand my service to do more with less when needed. Expand my light to champion and love people of every color and expand my mind to seek justice the way you desire, Father. All these things I ask, Lord, to expand your kingdom in my community. Amen. Next slide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, can you remind us you live in us? For those who've forgotten or those who can't feel you or hear you, maybe give that a little extra nudge. Do a peekaboo from behind a tree somewhere. Say, hey, I'm still here. But deep inside of us, remind us that's where you live and that you love us unconditionally. And may we have a hope for an amazing future that can look so boring. And for some, it could be exciting. But it's a future with you in your presence, your presence in us, not living from fear, but from your love. That's a future we can have a hope in. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.